Lord, we just thank you that you are with us always. Thank you, Father, for the awesome reality of our union with you. Lord, we pray that we can hear things by the Spirit today and as we encourage each other. Only the Holy Spirit can show us these things. And the Spirit has been sent to show us the things that belong to Christ and now to us because we're in one, oneness with you, Lord. Such an awesome thing. The Spirit shows us what belongs to Christ and now to us because we are in you, Lord, and you are in us. Lord, we come with your authority. We come with your greatness, your goodness, and we come in your name. Awesome, awesome. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm still just reveling over that. Remember a few weeks ago I shared, I got this little insight as to what it means to pray in Jesus' name. I'm still getting over this cold, so sorry about that. But um, I still am reveling in that because my prayers have taken, taken on a new authority when I just realized that I'm praying if I can try to communicate what I heard in the Spirit was when you pray in His name, it's like you're saying to the Father, I'm, this, I'm doing this, this is, this is for Him. This is, this is in His name. This is not for me, this is for Him. Does that make sense? It's, it's so cool. It's like this, it's like that's why He says in, 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 confidence that if you pray, if you ask the Father anything in my name, he will do it. It's like a, a sense that it's, I'm doing it to his account. This is to his account. It's like, it's almost like the Spirit said, it's like you have, it's like you have the Lord's credit card. Yeah, it's like that. It's like the Spirit said, it's, it's his credit card. It, go ahead and, and just whatever you want, do it in his name. It's his name on the credit card, not your name. Isn't that awesome? It has changed my way of praying because it just, it's not, I'm not thinking about, am I holy enough today? Am I good enough today? You know, am I, have I done everything right? Have I crossed my T's? Am I saying it right in Jesus' name? Am I, you know, none of that. It's just a very simple awareness that he has given us his name. And he says, look, this is, this is my credit card. Use it. You've never asked the Father anything heretofore. Now ask him. Because I, I couldn't give the credit card until the work was finished. But now, here's my card. It's, it's awesome. And, 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 and then what happens is that, you know, the Spirit leads us to pray according to His desires. Because that's what union with Him means. You know, we begin, to, God is at work in us both to will and to do according to His good pleasure. So, we're not saying you use the credit card to buy a yacht. Okay, I'm going to go buy a yacht. You know, because the Spirit's not telling you to go buy a yacht. But as we walk in the Spirit, there's a simplicity to this asking in His name that is awesome. As we just simply walk in the Spirit, we've got His credit card. And you know what's weird? I'm seeing answers to prayers like this. It's scary in a way. Because it's like, oh my God. I just asked for that, and there it is. I asked for this, there it is. And one time, I, just recently, I didn't even ask. I just kind of thought about it, and there it was. I mean, it's exciting. I mean, and, and, and the verse came to mind where the scripture says, even before they ask, I shall answer. Remember that? 
I mean, this is awesome. I mean, it's just like a new view of prayers. Like, I just really, I really, I'm seeing what it means to pray in his name. And it's so simple. It's not like, like, remember they, they were healing, um, in the book of Acts, they were healing uh, the, the people. And they, they began to worship Peter and them. And Peter, Peter said this. He said, do you think by some holiness or some piety of, our, of ours that these people are healed? He goes, no, it's by the name of Jesus, they, the, by faith in the name of Jesus that these people are standing healed before you. They understood. They were, they were totally out of the equation. They, they, it was just his credit card. Isn't it awesome? It just frees you up because I don't care if you're having a good day or a bad day. Just pull the credit card out. It doesn't matter if you're having a good day or a bad day or how you feel emotionally. The scripture says we have been chosen in him. He, before the foundation of the world, he, picked, he chose us to be holy and blameless in him. Holy and blameless in him. Not holy and blameless in ourselves. Holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Ephesians says, holy, blameless, and beyond reproach in him. And so because we're in him, we are now holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Because we are in him, we now have his credit card, so to speak. We now have his credit card. His name is on that card, not my name. It's awesome. It makes you want to go pray for everything. It makes you want to ask. And that's exactly what he wants. That's what he said. He was almost excited when he said that. He goes, he goes up until this time, you've not asked the Father anything in my name. But I'm about to leave, and I want you to ask the Father I tell you the truth. If you ask the Father anything in my name, he'll do it. Here's the card. It's, it's really cool. Oh. POA? Yeah, power of attorney. That's a good way to look at it. Power of attorney. Power of attorney, credit card. You have my authority. You know, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Now I give you that authority that you go forth in my name. It has nothing to do with how we're feeling or how we're doing. It's just, it's, a, it's an amazing, it's an amazing, um, you're detached from, from yourself almost. It's like, it's his name. It's for him. Father will honor it. Credit card. So cool. Okay. Um, I just want to share a few thoughts from Hebrews, we're on that the series on Hebrews, um, so I can just put some thoughts together before the main meeting. I'll be sharing in the main meeting. I'm really excited about that this morning. Pray, pray for me. I really want to talk about the dynamic behind the the way we're actually changed, or the way Christ is actually manifested in our life, or the way we bear fruit. You can say it those three different ways. Uh, when we talk about transformation, I don't want to do the message right now, but when we talk about transformation, transformation is a reference to the outward manifestation of what is already true inwardly. And I want to kind of explain what that means, because really, Christ being manifested through us is the fruit of a tree that already exists within. See? If there was no, if, that's why Paul wrote about it in terms of fruit, because there's a life already within. There's a life that bears fruit. When you see an orange on an orange tree, when you taste that orange, you're tasting orange life. See? That's orange life. 
And so when we have the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, those, the, the attributes of God himself, it means life is already in there because you wouldn't have fruit. That's why Paul refers to the flesh as the works of the flesh because it's, it's, act, it's active um, fleshly movement, but it's not life. It just acts, the works of the flesh, see? But fruit of the Spirit. Anyway, so I want to share... How does that fruit come forth? And it's not as religion has taught us. And that's why we've, we've had so many problems with um, walking in the Spirit or, or actually bringing forth the fruit of God and enjoying what God has done. So I want to talk about that out there. Okay. Hebrews chapter 4, please. This is going to be really short, hopefully. Okay. Let's, Hebrews chapter 4. We, we went over this once before, but we never have done this in the context of our study on Hebrews. So I'm going to do it again real quick and um, just take a look at it because it needs to be part of this package of, in Hebrews. Okay, chapter 4 of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, let us fear, lest while a promise remains of entering his rest, any of you should seem to have come short of it. What the writer is saying here, he's talking to his Jewish brothers. Take, remember now, he's talking to his Jewish brothers, and he's, he wants to make sure these Jewish brothers, his Jewish brothers really get this, because you can't, you can't go back to Moses. You can't go back to the sacrifices of bulls and goats and still have Christ, and that's what he's trying to say here. He's not talking to a Christian who has believed and entered into the rest and say, you need to be afraid to make sure you're, you're really saved or not. No, he's talking to his Jewish brothers, and he's saying, look, you need to make sure you have Put your trust in this Messiah and not your trust in a temple or a priesthood or the blood of bulls and goats. Okay. Awesome. Verse 2. For indeed, we have had good, we have had good news preached to us, just as they also... Now, they there is referring to the passages in chapter 3 about Israel who was promised the, the promised land, and they didn't believe that you know, God could bring them into the promised land. They wandered for 40 years until God brought them in 40 years later. For indeed, we have had good news preached to us, just as they also, but the word they heard did not profit them, because it was not united by faith in those who heard. In other words, the word they heard was, there is a land, there is a place God has prepared full of milk and honey. It's all a type of Christ, a place prepared with full of milk and honey, and I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to, you're, not, you're not going to have to fight in this battle. I'm going to give it to you. In fact, the very first city they took, Jericho, God said, just march around and sing, basically. And then on the seventh time around, the walls fell down and they took the city. So he gave them this land. It's God's work. It's a land filled with milk and honey, a picture of Christ. But it says here the, that word did not profit them because they did not believe it. They did not join that word with faith. So he's using an analogy it, eventually it did when Joshua and Caleb brought him in, but not the first generation. So he's using the analogy that I'm bringing the word of this gospel, I'm word of the revelation of Christ, and it won't profit you, my Jewish brothers, if you don't believe it, just like it didn't profit the, the first generation of Israel that it didn't enter the promised land. See, that's, that's the comparison. Okay, look at this. Verse 3, for we who have believed enter that rest, just as he has said, if I, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. Now, so here he's saying God was frustrated with Israel for not believing him. And so he said, they're not going to enter my rest. This generation is not going to, they they'll wander for 40 years. And then I'll bring the next generation in, into the promised land. So here 
it seems like God is saying that the rest is the promised land. Okay? So as you read the, as you read the, the, the scriptures, it says, wow, so God is talking about a rest, and it's, and it's the promised land. It's Israel with, with you know, milk and honey and so forth. And then it says, even though his works were finished from the foundation of the world. So he's saying here, hmm. So the writer is saying here, all right, so the, this rest that he himself calls his own rest after he created all things and rested from his works, from the foundation of the world. Now the writer says, God is referring to a rest, a rest like that where he, everything has been done. And so you think that he's talking about the promised land here, right? That, okay, that must be it. Then watch what happens. Look at verse Four, for he has thus said somewhere concerning the seventh day, and I'd love, I'd love to point this out, that if you don't know the chapter and verse of a scripture, just say it like the Holy Spirit said it here. It says somewhere. <laughs> you have scriptural precedent to just quote scripture and say it says somewhere. All right, for, for he has said, he has said somewhere. Concerning the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. See, he's referring back to the, the first mention of rest, okay? Look, watch this close now, verse 5. And again, in this passage, they shall not enter my rest. Okay, so he's, the writer is, uh, the Old Testament, he's comparing these two passages. Okay, he, he rested at the beginning of time when he finished all his works in Genesis. But now it's talking about a, a, a rest to be entered into. And it seems like this rest must be the promised land, Israel, because God's talking about, I will not let them enter my rest, you know, so forth, because um, they didn't believe it, a land filled with milk and honey. Okay, so, so far it seems like that's what it, what it is, but watch this. Verse 6, since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly had good news preached them failed to enter because of disobedience, which is actually the word, um, disobedience is a reference to verse 19 of chapter 3, which is the, disobe- the disobedience being unbelief. Chapter 3, verse 19 clarifies that the disobedience is unbelief, not believing. Okay, so verse 6 again. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly had the good news preached to them, which is the good news of the promised land, Israel, land filled with milk and honey, failed to enter because of their unbelief or disobedience. He again fixes a certain day, saying, Today, saying through David, David, Now, David is many centuries after they enter the promised land. David is king now of Israel many, many hundreds of years later. And what the writer is discovering here is this this line of thought in the Old Testament. Look at this. It's so cool. And again, he fixes a certain day saying, Today, saying through David, after a long time, see, after a long time after they've been in the promised land, just has been said before. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. A rest is still being talked about. So it couldn't have been the promised land. It couldn't have been. And then look at verse 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, the one who brought them in the promised land, if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. You see that? So this whole line of thinking is coming through. It's unraveling in the scripture, this awesome thing about a rest. And it, it seemed to be Israel's promised land. That this rest that he first spoke of when he created all things and entered into a rest. But then you see out of the, the Spirit speaking through David, 
a long time after they entered this promised land of another rest, not another rest, but the rest that he's actually talking about. And then the writer to the Hebrews says, you see this? He says, you see this? If Joshua had given him the rest, or in other words, if the promised land had been the rest, he would not have spoken about another rest later. See that? Okay, this is so cool. Then he goes, verse 9. Therefore, verse 9, therefore remains, there remains therefore a Sabbath rest for the people of God. He references Sabbath because he's still thinking about the, uh, the first day of the first book of Genesis, you know, when he created all things, the Sabbath rest. He's thinking about what is this rest that God keeps talking about through all time from the foundation of the world. He's, he's, he's referring to himself as rest, entering a rest. And now he's, he's calling, he's inviting others to enter this rest. You see that? All right, let's read it again. Verse 9. There remains, therefore, a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Verse 10. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. Verse 11. Let us, therefore, be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall through following the same example of disobedience or unbelief. So, in other words, the writer is saying that the rest has finally come. The true rest, the true Sabbath rest has come, of which the promised land was just a picture. But now the rest, the true rest, is Christ himself. He who was slain before the foundation of the world, all his works were finished from before the foundation of the world. He chose us in him Not that he chose individuals. He chose the way to bring us in as sons and daughters would be to place us in him. You see? He predestined the way. He was predestined to be the way, the truth, and the life. He was predestined having been slain before the foundation of the world so that all who would believe on him would be made holy, blameless, and beyond reproach in him. And therefore, and therefore, we could be adopted as sons because now through him, we would be holy and blameless and beyond reproach. And that, as, a, as sons and daughters adopted by him, he could lavish his love upon us forever, forever and ever and ever. And so this rest, this rest is this believing. It's believing that Jesus himself is the way. God has ordained from the foundation of the world to make you holy, to make you blameless, to make you and I beyond reproach in the presence of God. And in that rest, we cease from dead works. As the Hebrew says, we've been, our conscience is cleansed from dead works because we no longer are working to be holy, working to be blameless, working to be beyond reproach, working to earn his love, working to uh, please him, working to make him happy. We cease, as God did cease from his works, we cease from our works to try to be, and we enter this rest and receive Christ himself as our holiness, Christ himself as our blamelessness, Christ himself as our awesome reality of union with God. Isn't that awesome? That's the rest. It's not a day on a calendar. It's not the promised land of Israel. 
It is Jesus himself because he has done it all. He has finished the work. And when we simply believe, we enter that rest. How do you enter the rest? By believing, the writer says. So we believe, we believe, and we enter into this rest. And it's called his rest. So his rest, he, that's why the Sabbath laws were so strict in the Old Testament. Because it was a type of Christ. It was a type of this, rest. So he, you couldn't work, and if you worked, it was severe penalties for working on the Sabbath because he's trying to say, I don't want you to do any work. You can't add to what my son has done. You can't add to holiness that I've given you. You cannot add to blamelessness that I've given you. You cannot add to um, a, a, a state of beyond reproach. You can't add to that. Rest. Enter into my rest by believing. And then this, the beauty of God's ways is that in, in that rest, As a branch on a vine, his life bears fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing, he says. But if you are aware of this union that I've brought, if you're aware and abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall bear much fruit out of that rest. Isn't that beautiful? That's God. That's God. And those who don't believe on on what he's done... Those are the ones that never enter the rest. And they're always working, working, working to, to, to be better, to be more righteous, to be more holy, to be accepted by God. And God is not pleased with that. God is only pleased when we receive his son who offered himself up in the fullness of time, yet was slain in the, in the mind of God before the foundation of the world. Because he never, never intended anybody to enter heaven through their good works. It's impossible. It's impossible. So it had to be through the Son. Amen. Awesome. Okay, and just real quick, let me look at this last few verses that I think has been mistaught. Um, verse 11. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall, uh, fall through following the same example of disobedience or unbelief like, like Israel did concerning the promised land. Verse 12. For the word of God... This verse, I think, has been most, most mistaught. This is another one of those verses in Hebrews I think has been misunderstood. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to discern or judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Okay, this is, so, this is an awesome verse. First of all, when you see verse 12 when it says the word of God, for the word of God is living and active, most preachers will take that verse out of context and they'll say, for the word of God, for the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it's not talking about the Bible. He's not talking about the Bible. He's talking about the word that he refers to in verse 2. Just a few verses up, verse 2. For indeed, we have, good, we have had good news preached to us just as they also, but the word they heard did not profit them. The word of God, sharper than a two-edged sword, is the gospel. Yes. You see that? Yes. It's not just some general statement about the Bible. He's talking about this word of the gospel, of the good news, of this rest, the word of rest. The word, get this, saints, it's so awesome. The word of rest is a sharp is sharper than two, a two-edged sword. Let me, show, let me show you what he means by this. This is awesome. The word of rest. You see, men are always thinking God's out to clean my clock. God's out to judge me. God's out to, to uh, 
expose me, shame me, uh, show me up, uh, uh, punish me, whatever. Man thinks like that because we're in sin and darkness, alienated from the life of God, darkening our understanding of who he really is. Just like Adam running away from him, you know, full of shame and, and, and afraid of God. And God says, Adam, where are you? What's up? Where are you? I haven't, God hasn't changed, see? So our darkened thinking makes us think this. But God is, God is actually, he, he, he shocked the world. He shocked the world with not a word of judgment. We expected that. We expected the judgment. John the Baptist expected it. That's why he said, wait, this is not matching up with my thinking. Are you the one or should we look for another? You're going out forgiving everybody and healing everybody and everybody's happy around you. I mean, I didn't, that's not what I, look, I was, I thought God was going to fire with a fire and, and, and purge the earth. And I mean, are you really the Messiah or should we look for another? You see? And then, and then Jesus quotes the scripture and says, you t- go tell John that the lame walk, the blind see, and blessed is he who is not offended in the grace of the Son of God. Amen. You see? People are offended about grace. They're offended with the word of rest. It is a sharp sword. What it does, saints, it reveals the pride of man. Man wants a word of judgment. Man wants to hear, what do I need to do to clean my clock? What do I need to do to get better? What do I need? The Pharisees ask him that question. What must we do to work the works of God or to do the will of God? Tell us what to do. We want to do something. And Jesus said, this is the work of God, that you believe on him whom God has sent. See? So the word of rest is a sharp sword. It reveals the pride of man because it's like you'll hear people say, oh, that can't be that easy. What they're really saying is, no, I need something harder so I can pat myself on the back. What they're really saying is, no, I need something to do so I can fulfill those things and I'll feel pretty good about myself. That's what they're really saying. I'm telling you, it's powerful. So what is this verse saying? The word of rest, the word of the gospel, the good news is a a powerful sword. Now, look what he's saying here. This is so cool. What a sword in battle, a sword in battle can only cut as far as the body, the physical body. The most, the deepest a sword in battle can cut is cuts through the organs, cuts through the joints, cuts to the marrow of the bone. You see, if you had a body, a body, and you took all the, you know, just a body, say a body deteriorating, all the flesh, all the organs disappear, what's left? Skeleton. Skeleton's left. The deepest part of the human body is the marrow. That's as far as a sword can go. That's as far as a natural sword can go. The marrow is where the blood is made. That's the, life is in the blood. That's the very place where, the, where blood is made in the marrow of the bones. So a natural sword can only go as far as the marrow in a body. God's word of rest is sharper than any two-edged sword that can only go through the, to the marrow. It pierces beyond the joints and the marrow to an invisible reality of soul and spirit. You see what I'm saying? So what happens, he's he's not talking about this teaching that, oh, there's a soul, there's a spirit. Yeah, there is a soul and a spirit, but he's talking about two things here, a visible body and an invisible person. The visible body, as far as a natural sword can go, is to the marrow and the bone. But this, this word of rest is sharper than any two-edged sword out in a battle. This goes beyond the body to the invisible person who is soul and spirit. And in that, in that person who is soul and spirit, 
We are laid bare, naked before God, the next verse says. And we can't hide our thoughts or our intentions when this word of rest comes. Amen. You see it? When this word of rest comes, you are naked before God. You cannot hide your thoughts and the intentions of your heart. You cannot play games with this. You cannot be prideful with this. You have to only just like break down and say, God, thank you. And he goes, and then the next verse says, and we have this awesome high priest who has gone into the heavens and we have no fear whatsoever for he has done it all. Come boldly to a throne of grace to find help and mercy in time of need. Isn't that awesome? So, and that's why he started this chapter with, I fear, unless some of you have come short of the grace of God, because, listen, you can't play games with this. If, if, you, if you think you can earn your own righteousness, if you think you can go back to Moses and be good, if you think you can keep the Ten Commandments and be good enough, if you think you can do any of these things, listen, this word of rest is exposing you right now. Amen. And the poor in spirit will receive it gladly. And the pride, prideful, the scripture says, walk away from it. Because they don't, they don't want to receive a gift. Because they feel like they, they can earn it themselves. You see that? So let's just finish this passage real quick. This is so cool. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Meaning the word of God, meaning the word of rest, the gospel. And piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow. Piercing between these two. It couples these two things. Soul and spirit, joints and marrow. Invisible person, visible person. The, the sword cuts between the two. And that's also, saints, that's also where God cut for spiritual circumcision. That's where he cut. He cut away the body of the flesh and raised up the new inner man. Amen. It's awesome. Okay, then he goes here. Able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to his eyes, to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. In other words, you can't hide the the thoughts and intentions of your heart when this this word of rest comes to you. So come, believe, enter his rest. Don't be afraid. Verse 14, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things, yet as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in time of need. Awesome. So you have an awesome sword in your hand, and it's not like men suppose. It is not a sword of judgment. It is not a sword of condemnation. You have an awesome sword. It's the sword of grace. It is the sword of mercy. It is the sword of rest. It is the word of rest, and it reveals the thoughts and intentions of men. Either way, it reveals who's really Seeking God for God and those who are seeking maybe just to be known as godly. The Pharisees wanted to be known as godly people among men. But God, with this word of rest, reveals the ones who really just want him. It's awesome wisdom, the wisdom of God. It's the wisdom of God, Christ, the wisdom of God and the power of God. Lord, thank you so much for helping us see the awesome sword you've placed in all our hands. A sword that, that brings life, not death. A sword that brings rest. A sword that can 
break through and bring light to all who have ears to hear, eyes to see. As you said today, if they will not harden their heart, they would enter the rest. They would receive this awesome work of Christ. Lord, thank you so much for opening our eyes. In Jesus' name, amen. In Jesus' name.